During the late 80s and early 90s, every kid in the world wished for a Nintendo. But in the end, what you were actually wishing for was the chance to play Super Mario Brothers, just like everyone did. In my neighborhood, we were mostly all lucky enough to get one. Some got the most popular Nintendo that came as a gray and big plastic box. But some had an Asian version with black and red colors. Cartridges could be shared with the right devices. And summers weirdly stopped being the perfect opportunity to be out in sunny afternoons. We would rather have been couch potatoes fighting to save virtual princesses from lava lakes and the jaws of a dinosaur turtle-like creature. Yeah, those were the days. We didn't care if we lost, we'd try again the next day. Naturally, Nintendo would capitalize on the huge success of its console. Selling more of them? You betcha. But that wasn't all. They would have to come up with a way to keep selling, and not necessarily more games. They were called accessories, and if you had one, you increased your popularity. It was that simple. Whether it was the power pad, or the Konami laser scope, if you had more of them, then you had more power as far as teenage rules go. It was during that time that Nintendo released something called the Power Glove. A popular and very expensive accessory that would supposedly change the gaming industry. However, in my small hometown, it became the basis for an event so bizarre and so violent. We still can't explain it to this day. The summer of 1990 was the end of childhood for many kids in my area. No families on my block could afford to get the Power Glove. Not even as a Christmas present. We had all seen the film The Wizard, where the glove is shown as an essential tool, and had become fascinated with the device. I remember Charlie, one kid at my school, saying he had tried on the Power Glove during vacations at his wealthy cousin's house. He said it was the coolest thing he had ever used in his life. No one even knew what game he played, and it didn't matter. When Charlie told the story, Casey, one of the kids that lived in my neighborhood, was there in the group. He was this extremely thin, small boy with huge glasses. My group of friends and I always went by his house riding our bikes, and I feel very ashamed to admit I actually laughed at him all the time because he couldn't get on his little red bike. He rode a few feet and fell on the ground all the time. Even though we were kind of bullies, he was always around us when our attention went from biking to gaming. It's not that he was part of the group, he was younger than us. But whenever we discussed cheats, he always had something to say. His dad bought him used copies of Nintendo Power Magazine, and he shared those with us. He wasn't a cool kid, but we liked him enough to acknowledge his presence. The only times he wasn't very vocal was when his big brother was present in the schoolyard. Upon a few times, we learned how Casey's brother affected him. From his posture to his voice, everything changed in Casey. The kid feared his brother big time. The day Casey heard about the power glove, he skipped classes and went home. Even though he was one grade below us, we heard teachers chatting about his absence. They even asked us if he'd gone home with us the day before. The next day, things got back to normal, sort of. We heard Casey's dad was somehow going to find a power glove for him. That man did everything for his kids. Those of us who knew Casey understood that he would be the first one in our neighborhood that could probably get a power glove. 
Weeks went by, and every chance we got, we asked Casey if his dad had found him one. He always said no, and lowered his head. Until one day, we couldn't ask him anymore, because he stopped coming to school. Naturally, we knew we had to grab our bikes and go ride over to Casey's house, after school. Once we got there and knocked on the door, his mother didn't even see how many we were, before telling us Casey was in his room with that damn Nintendo. We assumed we had her okay to go up into the room, where we knew Casey was trying out the power glove. What we immediately noticed when we got in there was how close Casey was to the TV. We asked him about the power glove, and he said he was still trying to figure out how the damn thing worked. He had several magazines beside him, with open power glove articles. We grabbed a few magazines and sat on his bed, while unsuccessfully trying to make him see we weren't that interested in the glove. It was a mixture of rubber and plastic and fabric that allowed you to move your hand and dominate whatever took place on the screen. And Casey's small hands it seemed too big. We were filled with envy, and we looked at each other while silently coming up with an order in which we would try out Casey's new acquisition. However, when I looked at the floor, I saw the box for the power glove. It didn't feature the same imagery Nintendo accessory boxes were known for. This was a red box with black, unrecognizable characters. It wasn't English, it was something I couldn't recognize. It also had a black line sketch of what appeared to be the glove on it. I immediately knew this wasn't an official version of the Power Glove, but a bootleg imitation. My excitement went a bit down from then on out, but then Casey yelled triumphantly. He had figured out how the thing worked and was showing us how to control a robotic hand on the screen. We hadn't seen this game before and actually were not very impressed with the graphics, but this was the Power Glove in all its glory. We wondered if Casey would let us try it. Minutes went by and Casey's eyes seemed to open beyond what their sockets were capable of. We asked him to let us try it out, but Casey's answers were confusing and jumbled up. Eventually we got bored and left his room without getting an answer and went home to beg our parents for a power glove. We had seen it in action and as glitchy as it seemed to be, every one of us wanted one. Although the next day would change everything. When we arrived at school, Casey wasn't there, but we knew he was okay. We had seen him just the previous day. The school day went by fast, and we decided we would go by Casey's again to see if we could convince him to let us try out the glove. Late afternoon, we took our bikes and headed over there, and what we found were ambulance lights, police chatter through walkie-talkies, and many concerned adults standing outside their house. A few minutes later, I saw my mom walking desperately to where I was, and that's when I knew it was serious. My heart started beating faster every time another body bag was brought out of the house, one after another and each one weighing less than the next. We counted five and looked at each other in panic as we realized the number matched Casey's family members. My mouth dropped when we saw a policeman carrying a plastic bag containing a bloody NES and controllers with ripped cables. Tommy and Zack immediately grabbed their bikes and left. I stayed with my mom, who let me know she was there by grabbing my arm very tightly. Holding my breath, I just waited for her to let go. That was the last day I ever tried to turn on a Nintendo console, 
as the red light on the front instantly reminds me of the blood in that bag. Decades went by, and no one had any idea, aside from rumors, of what had happened in Casey's household. That was until Charlie contacted me a few years back. He had become a detective in my hometown. We hadn't stayed in touch, even during the rest of our school years. He had sent me an email with a police report. The subject read, delete after downloading a local copy. The attachment was a set of documents that addressed the killings in Casey's house all those years ago. My blood went cold as I saw it mentioned that Casey was a suspect for the violent murders. That night my wife found me shaking, half asleep at my desk, with tears in my eyes. The next day, I read everything again, and this is what I remember. Apparently his mother and father, Linda and James, were found in their bed, their arms at their sides, and their hands holding each other, with their bodies face up. Above their neckline, there was almost nothing to identify. The heads were there, but nothing connected them to the body. Their throat area was crushed. The position of each body and cause of death were eerily similar. Casey's brother Max had been found in the shower. The water wasn't running. His body was slumped over in a weird position that left his face exposed. His mouth had been stuffed with soap. But it wasn't just one bar. The autopsy report described a total weight of five pounds of soap extracted from his throat, stomach, and mouth. The report also read that the portion of soap visible in Mac's mouth had strange markings in the forms of select and start. Casey's little sister, Megan, was just a few years old. She had been found wrapped in so much plastic wrap, policemen failed to notice that the package put in the freezer actually contained a dead child's body. A ribbon made with cable was found protecting the package. The child's hands had been holding a Nintendo controller while she was being wrapped up. Lastly, there was Casey. He had been found at the bottom of the stairs. No visible harm to his body. He was just unresponsive when policemen broke inside. Cause of death was severe trauma to the chest. The confirmed theory was Casey punched himself in the chest repeatedly with his right hand that had the power glove on. Specialists couldn't even figure out how many times he had hit himself, but they guessed it had been for more than 18 hours until his heart stopped. Investigators concluded this was a strange case of homicide-suicide. No motivations, no notes. Only the bodies of a family, which was no more. I can't say this was definitely caused by the power glove, because I'm no detective, but the Campbells were a pretty average family that would celebrate birthdays and Christmas. They would go to the movie theater on Fridays and go to church on Sundays. They were normal. And the only thing in that house that wasn't normal was that weird foreign power glove, which no one knows the origins of.